0: Today on Hacker Public Radio, Jonathan Nadu interviews Aaron Saigo and they talk about accessibility in KDE. <laughs> After his outspoken criticism of accessibility in Ubuntu, Jonathan Nadu has become a standard bearer for accessibility on the Floss desktop. In his interview with KDE spokesman Aaron Saigo, Jonathan didn't ask any questions about accessibility. I was expecting to hear about accessibility improvements and what was in the pipeline for KDE. When I contacted him about this, he immediately replied saying that they did talk about accessibility, and. He didn't add it to the show as it was already running long. Uh, he said he might release it as a separate podcast. I floated the idea of him releasing it on HPR and he was kind enough to email me the segment. This is what you're going to hear today. The rest of the interview can be found at frostbitemedia.libsyn.com forward slash frostcast dash episode dash 36 all that's in lowercase. Links will be in the show notes. On a separate note, HPR has no more shows in the queue. We do have syndicated shows, but we have no HPR-generated content. HPR is a community feed, and without shows, it will cease to exist. Many people have stepped up to the plate and recorded shows, but I know there are many more out there who have it in them to contribute. With that in mind, I ask you to record a show today and send it in. All you need to do is email admin at hackerpublicradio.org and attach your audio file to that. Thank you very much enjoy the rest of today's show
1: hey Aaron
2: hey how are you doing
1: hey how's it going man
2: ah not bad not bad yourself
1: oh good yeah th- thanks for uh thanks for your time
2: a problem sorry about the uh, last mix up the other day
1: Ah, oh, no problem.
2: still getting used to uh life here and how long it takes to get everywhere and yeah <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> what what uh what brought the move on
2: um, I actually, I'm getting married in May. And okay, congratulations. My, thanks. Um, my fiancé is a researcher at uh, ETH here in Zurich. Okay. So, since I can work from pretty much anywhere and she's tied to her research position, um, we decided it was probably easiest for me to move here.
1: Yeah, that works. Yep. Yeah, because you were in Canada, right? Before?
2: Yeah, That's right, in Vancouver.
1: Yeah. That must be uh, the, the different landscape then, huh?
2: yeah yeah quite a bit um fortunately i've i've been here before um to, to uh switzerland and, and zurich so i have you know i had some idea of what i was getting into but um it's definitely different living in a place than visiting
1: yeah yeah i believe it i talked to um jeremiah foster from debian and uh he li- i'm not he doesn't live in zurich but he lives uh in switzerland and he was saying it's it's tough to get used to, uh, like the weather. He's like, it's, it's, I don't remember this, the, the, the timing, he said, but it's dark for such a long period of time there. And, and people need to, like, I don't know, get under these lights and stuff so they get used to having sun and all this crazy stuff.
2: Yeah, it's not that far north. It's not like, um, you know, Finland or, or, you know, up in Norway where you get really, you know, dark winters, but you do get, um, A fair amount of rain and cloudiness Mm. but having come from the pacific northwest yeah that's that's (laughs) you're used to that (laughs) i am an olympic champion at dealing with gray skies so
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's cool
1: yeah that's definitely convenient that you can just get up and go and you know work from anywhere and doesn't really change your. well i guess it must throw off your timing though you must be like eight hours ahead of what you're normally used to or whatever, 12 hours ahead or something.
2: Uh, yeah, nine hours. And But, I mean, that was... I've been here for a few weeks now, and that's not a problem. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so basically I'd like to talk to you about uh, KDE 4.6, and, uh, you know, maybe you can let our listeners know all the fantastic stuff that came out in that. And um, I don't know if... Uh, because I'm a I'm a blind Linux user, so I don't know if you know much about the accessibility of KDE. I'd like to maybe touch base on that. I've been I'm on the mailing list for the KDE accessibility list, and it seems like there's a little more action going on there. And I don't know if you know much on that front or not. Because I I know you deal with like plasmoids and stuff, but I don't know how deep into the development of like all of KDE you cover. So uh,
2: I, I try and stay abreast with what's going on, um, just because I end up doing these kind of interviews. So (laughs) while while, while I'm certainly not involved in every bit of development and design and, and, you know, all the projects uh, directly, I I do try and and keep, you know, pace. Uh, Accessibility is um, a really interesting topic. We – had gotten to a certain point with the 3.X series mm. um, where we had you know, a, a nice screen magnifier, we had um, high high contrast uh, icon themes, um, we had a widget style that was optimized for people with various uh, vision uh, problems. And mm. um, what we didn't get to, we, we also had some uh, speech to text support, yeah. what we did What we didn't really, really get to, though, was uh, the things that, well, people who, for instance, are uh, blind and and use computers really rely on, Um, things such as uh, interfaces with, you know, Braille keyboard and being able to uh, connect our our dialogues up with screen readers. Yeah. uh, For you, this is obvious. I don't know if your listeners are aware, but, you know, you're supposed to be able to go through a window and it should read all of the bits of text to you and let you know you know this is a you know a part of a menu and and whatnot um, and we never really got that going um, in the 3.x series and mm. the reasons were were largely technical there's only one stack uh, in the open source free software world that is um, that really exposes that level of power mm. uh, for accessibility. Um, which is, of course, the ATK-SPI right. stuff. So this was work that was originally funded uh, by Sun Microsystems, mm. um, which kind of dates it. They don't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, but they, they threw a lot of, of time, money, and energy into it, much to their, I think, uh, credit. Now, they did this, of course, because one of their big source of income was uh, uh, government contracts and deployments. And, of course... Uh, most governments these days have, you know, basic requirements for uh, accessibility. So right. if you're going to sell into a government and you have accessible software and your competitors do not, you win. And vice versa, if if your software is not accessible and theirs is, you lose. So it was important. So they, they funded the development of this. Um, it was tied to CORBA and GTK. Yeah. Which, I mean, in one sense was was understandable in the sense that, you know, they were already putting a lot of effort and time into things. Um, they were a, a very GTK, GTK-centric shop. Um, and, yeah, they just – that was their focus. So we started working with them on how can we make this more generic, general-purpose um you know, and they'd also worked on bridges for, like, open offices, Uno and stuff. So, I mean, they, they did put a lot of effort into things. We, we talked to them about how can we make this a little more generic and whatnot. And, and we did this through um, – with cooperation with uh, uh, a lot of the early groups. And there was some free desktop.org stuff. We worked with some people from the American Foundation for the Blind, um, the – earlier versions of the Linux Foundation uh, really pitched in and and we we decided that probably what the future was was going towards something that was, um, you know, at the time this new thing that was coming, D-Bus, and instead of tying it to Corba, which at the time Red Hat had already signaled they kind of wanted to move away from as much as possible. Uh, we'd see if we could use this D-Bus thing. And this was nice because we were already using Dbus in Qt and KDE software. Um, and this actually was one of the reasons why the Dbus bindings for Qt um, were funded and, and written, uh, funded by, by Trolltech at the time, of course, which is now owned by Nokia. Yeah. So we're at the point now where there's um, a SPI-2, I believe it's called, Yeah, which has been had a lot of involvement from IBM, and it is dbus driven, and that's kind of where our focus is. It still isn't all 100% there, Mm. um, but it looks like we finally have you know the right direction. um, We have the right pieces in place um, on the Qt level, uh, which is of course what KDE uses to write our software on top of. It has accessibility baked right into it um, through. Uh, this class called QAccessible, okay. and the challenge for for KDE is that while QAccessible works just great on Windows and Mac, it does so less on free software stacks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's the that's kind of the last mile that we're pulling together. Um, but that's something that we will be you know achieving in the four point x time frame, which is. Really exciting because I was actually involved in the very first discussions um, and was the one who proposed that we step away from Corba and go to Dbus. And this was, oh God, I don't know how many years ago now, seven. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I flew to um, uh, conferences, you know, thousands of kilometers away to attend and meet with these with people involved (laughs) in it. Um, You know, and I never really. I wrote a few lines of code here and there, but never really a whole lot into the accessibility. I just kind of tried to help with the community side of it and get the right people talking. And and so it's really cool to see some of this coming together. Um, Outside of that, there are some really cool things happening, though. Uh, Just yesterday, I think it was now, the developer who was working on the KDE uh, chess playing application Hmm. He posted a blog where he talked about uh, making putting into what are really accessibility features uh, into Knights, which is the name of the the uh, application. Okay. Because um, Knight has a K, you see. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may not always hear them now, but they're still there. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: yeah. So, uh, the two accessibility features were. Uh, text-to-speech output, which we still have, mm. and it works very well, um, but was the other side of it was uh, speech command. Mm. And what the, was really exciting about it. it wasn't like, oh, look, our chess program is accessible now. It's more the ease of which this was possible because of all the work that's been going on in accessibility. Mm. So what he used for uh, voice command was a very, very powerful cross-platform uh, application called Simon. Yeah, I've heard of that. Have you played with it at all? No, or? I
1: haven't. I've seen it though recently in a few mail. I'm I'm pretty I'm a, pretty much assigned to any accessible mailing as possible, and I've seen <laughs> that name f- flown around in the past couple of weeks, and I, I've been wanting to check it out, but I haven't actually like, you know, checked it out yet.
2: Well, cool! I really recommend it. It's it's really neat, even for people that don't need the accessibility benefits of it. Mm. It's really nice. Um, basically, it allows you to navigate your entire computer um including setting up uh custom you know in- interactions and commands with voice mm. and it's a multi-layer system so you don't have to set up sets of um you know long commands that do you know each specific thing you can actually tell it okay you know go into this menu now go to that menu and okay and, so you can drill down um and it's a really quick they uh, one of the developers came to academy last year and did a presentation on it uh and showed us it running um and yeah it's it's remarkable for not just for people who have you know need to or want to interact with their computer uh audibly or audio uh, with audio um for sight reasons or whatever but also motor control issues yeah right?
1: yeah definitely
2: which is even the bigger bigger audience for that absolutely um, and so, yeah, you can actually set up these pallets very easily and you can also get pre-configured ones, which is what Knights is doing, where it has Simon integration. Mm. Um, and, and of course, for those who may not be in North America, there's a, a game we play called Simon Says. Yeah, and, yeah. Right, where, <laughs> you know, you have one person at the front who tells you to, you know, lift your left leg and wiggle your ears. And and only if he says Simon Says, you're supposed to do it. So it's kind of a play on that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Simon, uh, so Knights has Simon integration now. It has this, you know, profile, so you can start up Knights, and if Simon's running, you can use Simon to move all your pieces around.
1: That's really cool.
2: And then on the other side, you can t- uh, tell Simon, hey, read me out all the moves, so that you can sit there, and the computer will read out what oh, it's okay. doing. Oh, okay,
1: and that's what I was wondering. It's like how are you gonna know how to, uh, like, what commands it understands or whatever. So that's cool. So you can have it run through
2: the list. Yeah, and the computer will, as it plays, will also tell you what it's doing. Oh, that's cool too. So you can sit there, and if you're, you've got a really good visual memory inside your head, or, yeah. or I guess spatial memory more yeah. than the visual. You can sit there, close your eyes, and play an entire game. That's <laughs> just cool. By, just with audio, um, and and so that kind of thing, I think, is really exciting. These are the things that, if you go back, you know, a few years, just weren't within our reach. Yeah. Uh, and now they are. So you know, while the transition from from the KD3 to the new 4.x series uh, we did have some early bumps with accessibility we're starting to get these back again and with a compositing window manager we're able to uh, provide a lot of uh, features that we just couldn't be as well, such as being able to, in real time with good performance, uh, alter the colors of the screen. So we can, you know, make everything high contrast, we can invert colors, we can do these kinds of things that before we had to have add-on software that did kind of an okay job of it. Um, full uh, screen magnification with, you know, high Uh, fidelity and these kinds of things that um, are only really possible when when you have a composited uh, window manager and Quinn's doing a good job of that. So, you know, long story short, we still have, you know, road ahead of us, but we've also come a long way and and where we are is is pretty cool. And for anyone who's listening, um, you know, the payoff for listening to all this rambling about accessibility, even if you don't use it, definitely check out Simon, because even if you don't use accessibility features, it is very, very cool.
1: Yeah. It, now, does Simon um, is it uh, only work under KDE or can you implement it into you know any of the other desktops like will work under GNOME or like XFCE or whatever? Like, is it an open you know stack for accessibility or is it kind of tied in the CUTE system?
2: Uh, it's written in CUTE, but it's not tied to CUTE or KDE. Okay. Um, in fact, if I'm not wildly mistaken, I'm pretty sure I'd have to double check, by 99% positive without checking. Um, I didn't do my homework on this because I didn't know we we're going to get into it. <laughs> but <laughs> uh,
1: no problem. Um, well, I, I didn't like technically I, I, start the interview yet, so I just, I yeah. just wanted to,
2: you yeah. Know. But yeah, I think Simon. I'm 99% sure Simon's also available even for Windows, Microsoft okay. Windows. Okay. Okay. So it's very flexible, and you can assign random commands. Um, so you could drive things by dbus. You can launch commands, launch applications. It has a bunch of hmm. presets as well hmm. that are kind of template things that you okay. can do with it okay. so you can have it you can basically turn it into an application launcher and various other things when it oh. gets to really tight integration like with what knights has done as one example um which i'll keep harping on because it just happened yesterday
1: <laughs>
2: uh it uh, then of course you get even deeper interaction with the application yeah. but it's it's flexible and generic enough um to be used not just with say plasma desktop but okay with whatever um, operating system and desktop you prefer.
1: That's awesome. And then I have one last uh, th- quick thing I want to run through with you is uh, I spoke with Rex who works on KDE for Fedora. And um, right. he, he mentioned when I was interviewing him uh, about um, – I'm not going to remember the name of it now. He, he, he said that there was sort of like a, a screen reader-ish type of thing implemented in 4.6. It's called like it starts with a J. It's like someone's name or something. I don't want to say Joshua, but something like that. Um.
2: Yeah, the new screen reader. Yeah. Um,
1: let's see if I can find that one too. Yeah, I, yes, can't I, remember, I, I can't remember the name.
2: Jovi.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, like, do you know? I I, I haven't installed. I'm. A, I just install. Uh, downloaded. Um, OpenSUSE eleven point four because I know that implements four point six. Um, do you know, like, do you have a rough idea of like how well it works, or how much, you know, how much of it does work, or you know, do you have any idea of, of where the state of that is at yet?
2: Um, yeah, it, it works quite well. It's it's interesting because uh, this is we, as I mentioned before, we had a screen uh, or a text to speech system in yeah. KD three, and this is really the next generation of it per se okay um so there's still the uh k speech api yeah. and what it uh, really does um, is it sits in front of and kind of hides a once again a dbus system yeah so uh applications and, and again not just kd applications but any application that wishes to use it uh can uh, access the dbus service it's org.kde.kttsd which is a whole jumble of letters <laughs> um, but it stands for KDE text to speech daemon okay yeah um, and uh, basically the application sends it requests over dbus basically mm. here's text here's the context for it can you please talk it uh, you know speak it um, and there's you know different features it has you know plain text or um, yeah so, or, so is know, HTML is, or
1: is Jovi then a, you know, a, a screen reader like Orca and GNOME, or is it more just kind of like a, a terminal? You know, I'll repeat whatever text I see come across the terminal.
2: Right. So um, Orca and and the stuff that sits in front of ATK SPI um, goes through the hierarchy of of objects in a window. And uh, interacts with them. So it sees a button, and it goes, okay, here's the text on the button, here's right. the accessibility label for it, and it can go in and uh, basically determine what is the interface, and lets you, then the full round trip as well as it allows you to interact with it. Mm. What what text to speech does is is similar, but not so much about the attractive elements. It's more about actually reading blocks of, of text. So you could use it to, you know, read out, hey, or, you know, what's on this button when it gets focused or whatnot. Right. But the kinds of things that it's usually used for are, um, you know, when you uh, put something on your clipboard. Yeah, or like to, if you wanted
1: to read a PDF file to you or something.
2: Right, like or, being able to, right or being able to read a web page. Okay. And, and in a way that actually makes sense, right? <laughs> so yeah, that just... yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, or when notifications happen. So, you know, there's new updates for your OpenSUSE 11.4. Okay. It's brand new. I'm sure there'll be updates every day for a while now. Yeah. Uh, when that notification pops up, it can it can automatically be read out. Okay. Um, to you, and that uses um, the text-to-speech. Um, okay. The clock when it changes time um, every 10, 15 minutes, hour, whatever you set it to, you can have it read out the time to you okay. um, aud- audibly. That uses the the back end as this back end as well. So it's it's really more for applications to say, oh, here's some text that the user needs to be able to be aware of. Okay. And it instructs it to to read it. So it's so not it, going
1: to necessarily it, let me navigate the desktop, but if a, right. if a notification pops up, it'll say, "Hey, there's text here. I'm going I'm going I'm going to read it."
2: Right, which is something that the other tools that are really more about navigating the desktop may not be as as uh, well suited for. Okay. Um, because the application, such as a notification manager or the clock, for instance, will know when it needs to have something said. Right. Um, and then it can just send this. Background process that just sits there, um, and tell it, hey, we need to talk about this now. Okay.
1: So, yeah, because from what I've seen on the accessibility list, it seems like they're trying to get the the at ads, the at spy like bridge working. It just seems like they're, from what I've been reading, and they're just trying to be able to figure out a way for, you know, to kind of get Orca moved over to KDE and and figure out how to let Orca maneuver the KDE desktop.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the accessibility. Uh, the the amount of resources for accessibility is low.
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: it's like that everywhere in open source. It's amazing what we manage to do with as few people as we do, um, which I think really speaks to the lean uh, processes that we have in place. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have, I mean, we have, you know, orders of many more people now than, say, when I first got involved with KDE, but it's still limited. And accessibility is extremely limited. Uh, It's just not a huge it's not perceived as being a huge audience.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it's often not easy work and often the people doing the work may not directly benefit from it themselves. Yeah. So there are some people that definitely are working on it that benefit from it and so are scratching their own itch, so right. to speak. But not but you know not everyone is. And so it's the the amount of resources is fairly is fairly small and so pragmatically we we look at it from the KDE community and go, you know, we're not exactly religious about our toolkit and whatnot. Um, What's important to us is there's a good user experience. Right. And if, you know, when we look at things pragmatically and go, here's the amount of resources available, uh, do we really need to, you know, rewrite Orca just because it's not written in our toolkit of choice? Mm. The answer is, well, given the resources we have, the quality of Orca, you know, et cetera, not really. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's the reason why, you know, we use Inkscape for, uh, you know, most of our icon creation in, you know, for Oxygen, um, even though it's not, you know, a cute or a right, application. Right, Who cares, right? It's free software and it does the job well. Right. So we don't start this huge, you know, program to rewrite Inkscape, but in Qt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's the same thing with Orca. and yeah. the, the nice thing about ATSPI is um, – it is in theory, and especially once you know we really get the D-Bus driven stuff, you know, fully on the on the rails. Um, uh, it, it is you know neutral and independent of of toolkit and, and whatnot. It doesn't care.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So um, we look at it and go, yeah, we want to get you know Orca and all these other tools because if we can give, uh, and this was really the vision we had with even in three x days, if we can take our tools and you know, other people's tools, we put them all together, we'll pull all our resources and everyone will benefit, which is interesting in the, because in the 3.x times, um, we specifically chose to work on tools that weren't, uh, available at the level we wanted them to be. Mm. Um, we started there. So for instance, we had a, a screen magnifier that did things that just weren't available elsewhere in free software. Um, and that was, you know, instead of rewriting Orca or whatever, yeah. um, we obviously had at the time kicker applets, and we have now, you know, plasma uh, widgets, plasmoids that do things like show the keyboard status. And we have that because that's specific to the desktop shell. There's no way around that. Right. However, we do—they do for backend use the exact same existing systems oh, okay. uh, that everyone else's uh, does. Um and, and again that's also purposeful because we want it all to work together <laughs> and we don't want to, you know, duplicate work. The the ultimate goal is to produce, you know, a kick ass system. Yeah. Uh- and, and that has a lot less to do with religion and a lot more to do with pragmatism. Yeah. So um, I don't know I'm, I'm excited about where, where things are, are, are headed and, and you're right. There's, there's been a, a research of, you know, excitement and interest um, recently with accessibility and, and KDE, which is good. It kind of comes in waves and fits and starts as people become available, have more time and random happenstance occurs. And yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And even, even, uh, Xfce, they they just updated their roadmap and they're saying they're hoping by the beginning or middle or something of 2012 they're hoping to to be able to tie in Orca more with their desktop because that's all GTK and everything and I've emailed them a few times saying hey it'd be great if you could get Orca working on here you're you know you must be halfway or three quarters of the way there and, you know it'd be great to have the uh, the option as a blind user and a few people answered me back and so you know it's just great to see more you know a blind user being able to have more
2: choices than you know being tied into gnome and you know absolutely and i mean this is one of the uh, excuse the puns um it's a horrible pun but it was for me an eye opener yeah um when i went to some of the conferences that i that i've been in you know the last you know, almost decade now um for accessibility and you know you I met people that had all kinds of you know disabilities um, who were active and participate, participating in the development of free and open source software, um, people that I actually had no idea. Some of them I had talked to before online, and it just never comes up, right? I mean, right, yeah, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you don't ask, so, you know, is there anything, you know, you, you know do you have a broken leg or anything? I mean, no one asks these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, which is one of the beauties of the internet, really, um, as long as it's accessible. Yeah. Um, and so, some people that I had no idea were, you know, in a wheelchair or, um, you know, had, you know, various vision um, challenges. You know, you show up at a, at a conference and, you know, there they are. And it's like, wow, you know, it, it, was, it was so very cool um, to see these people, you know, involved. And it really there, – there was – I mean, no prejudice whatsoever because we, a lot of us didn't even know there's no opportunity for it, and I think that's something that's really important to pass on to you know others who have you know various disabilities, whether it's you know you know things that are you know more serious like you know loss of you know limb use or you know blindness or deafness or you know even just you know think people that struggle with things such as you know Asperger's syndrome. Right. Right. Various things. Um, Free software tends to be, in my experience anyways, extremely open um, and not just accepting, but to the point where you just participate at the level you can. Um, And people are very cool with that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh,
2: And I really, really encourage anyone who's listening that, you know, if you have an interest in accessibility for personal reasons, because it's directly applicable to you, don't hesitate to get involved. Um, your participation will be extremely welcome, um, and we need people who are putting time and effort into it because they're scratching their own itch. It's one of the best motivators when it comes to creating something you're sharing with others.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Aaron. Well, I guess we're going to jump – well, I'll start the interview, but I, I might patch some of this into the interview already. And uh, I'll splice some of that in if uh, we we don't get a chance to getting back around to it. So definitely a good conversation. Um, all right, so I'll just pause a couple of seconds and I'll introduce you. In uh, and are, are you like the the project lead of KD? Like, what would you say your title is? Like main developer?
2: Oh or... uh, uh, well, people use that, but it's it's not quite accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a, well, I'm. Um, the team lead on, on Plasma. Okay. Uh, and uh, I s- sat on the board of directors and was president of our global nonprofit, okay. KDE. Um, and I'm a uh, – I, I played a spokesperson on TV for the project. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm a, a spokesperson um, uh, with with KDE and just help with the, the public. It, it's, it's really hard to pre- provide a – a you know a, a traditional title when you're in a completely horizontal flat decentralized community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and one of the things that's always awkward is when someone you know you're dealing with a journalist and they ask the same question you know I give the same answer. It's like well I'm you know team lead on this team and you know spokesperson with the project and you know was you know past president sat on the board and and then they write the article and it's like yes yeah, lead developer. And yeah, so exactly. I, it's much easier. <laughs> yeah. And then and then I get back to you know my teammates and they all kind of it's like dude really I'm like yeah. yeah. Uh, what I Did, said. <laughs> you hop in the IRC room. They're like, "Oh, hello, uh,
1: team lead of everything." <laughs>
2: <Exactly>. Yeah, <laughs> thanks the, for uh, the recognition, dude. <laughs> the best was another one of our um, uh, PR people, yeah. uh, Stuart Jarvis. He uh, gave an interview, and it was translated from English into I forget what language, and then someone from um, some Asian country, I think it was, retranslated it uh, into English for their website, so they have mm-hmm. it in both the local language, I think it was Chinese or something, um, so both the local language, but also English for people who read their site and, and speak English. But they translate it from the translation, and he went from being a PR spokesperson to, in the English version, King. Of K D E. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and it was, and this someone found us and oh, we had a great
1: time with that one. So we just call him Kate Stewie now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not gonna live that one down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'll, I'll, like I said, Aaron, I'll just pause and then I'll, uh, I'll introduce, start everything.
2: Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by CARO.net, so head on over to CARO.net for all your hosting needs.